Welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show with Landon Witt. You are about to learn hyper-local market knowledge happening right now in the Oklahoma City real estate market. This is your fresh weekly report on housing conditions in Oklahoma City that will enable you to make smarter investment decisions and gain insight on local trends. Landon is a genuine, self-made top realtor in Oklahoma City with millions of dollars in real estate closed every year and hundreds of satisfied clients. He's top rated by sites like Zillow, Trulia, Realtor.com, and Homes.com. He's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, property manager, and residential broker who's worked with clients from all over the globe to help achieve their real estate goals. This program will help you gain the much sought after hyper-local information that's vital to making real estate decisions, whether you live right here in the city or across the country. Welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. Here is your host, Landon Witt, with this week's Daily Market Update. Welcome to episode 20 of the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. On today's show, Jonathan Hill, engineer extraordinaire, talks with us today about Oklahoma City foundation issues. Jonathan Hill is the owner of Hill Engineering. Great to have him on the show. Getting into the market today, looking at days on market, active on market, all the signs showing that Oklahoma City has got a healthy heartbeat going into the fall. Let's take a look at those, those numbers in depth a little bit more. Active the last seven days, 152 homes have come on the market this week. Before last, we had the week before last, we had 186 homes coming onto the market. So a little bit of a dip, but not, not, not nothing too much to be concerned with as we are entering the beginning of the month as people start to get ready. As far as last week's home sales, 148 homes left the market last week. That's down about 5% uh, from last week. Um, so about 5.73. Uh, last week, we had 157 homes uh, sold. But let's look at the the figures on that. So days on market uh, was averaging 22, 22 days on market. So uh, you can expect a home that's priced correctly to be selling at around that 22 mark. The week before, we were selling at 19 days on market. So we're looking at a 15% increase uh, in time on market. Um, And again, folks, don't worry too much as we get into the fall. The buyers that are in the fall time, uh, although there's less, you may get less showings, the buyers are more serious. So uh, all that points to good figures going into the fall. Um, what does that mean for pricing? Well, the list price over the last seven days, believe it or not, we had a list average our list median at 140,000 and a close price of 140,000 literally the metric was a, about a tenth of a point uh, change on ask price so this last 7 days we had some good deals on the market we had some good houses that maintained their price of course some of them got bidded up and 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 uh mess with that figure but on the median we have a a pretty good sign there so um, moving on to uh, non-reo price per square foot now this is going to be your regular home that sold last week your average price per square foot at 92 dollars and 66 cents 
Um, last week, we had an average of $90.54. So we're going up in the right direction by about 2.2% increase uh, week over week, um, still behind the annual appreciation numbers at 3.5%, but we're going the right direction. Uh, again, remember what I told you about as we're getting towards the fall, you get a lot more serious buyers, uh, and there's generally a lot less homes to choose from, but not this year. We've got, we've got a good, healthy flow of homes on the market right now. Days on market uh, last seven days, or let's get into the REO category. This is uh, property owned by the bank. Um, so this includes uh, foreclosures as well as short sales. We're looking at um, five of them went off the market within 10 square miles of our uh, 10 radius miles of Oklahoma City Center um, compared to 13 last week. So that was an 8% drop in overall REO sold inventory. Um, days on market for those REOs, uh, 90 days. Um, so the week before last, it was an average of about 50 days that an REO would stay on the market before it was sold. Now we're getting up to 90 days. And when we see those huge gaps happen within a week time period, usually that means that we've had some homes that sold, you know, REO inventory cleared out. It got really small for a second. So the investors that are still buying, they went ahead and scooped up those last um, ones that maybe weren't as desirable as those other ones. That's why you see the 90 days on market average going up quickly. Uh, quickly like that. Um, price per square foot, you can expect to pay in the Oklahoma City area for a, uh, a bank for closed home is $51.61 per square foot. $51.61. That is a 2%, 2.26% increase uh, since uh, the week before. So kind of interesting that that 2 point uh, percent increase is consistent with REOs as well as it's consistent with um, uh, non-REOs. So good metric to see there. Um, as far as the uh, list price, what can you expect to pay for an REO in Oklahoma City? About $69,000 is what you're going to end up spending. Um, although last week was 55. So anywhere between that 50 and 75 price mark is what we're looking at. All right, moving on to the houses of the week. In the under 750 category, I know I'm totally blowing these categories out, but you know what? I love talking about these beautiful homes. This one on the market at 799. I know you're what you're saying, Landon. That doesn't that doesn't qualify for the 750 and under, but I had to show it. I had to talk about this one. Too beautiful not to. Coming from the Plaza District, just north of Northwest 16th, east of Penn, little place called Gatewood. Plaza District's been an awesome uh, thing. 1326 Northwest 16th Street. Absolutely gorgeous remodel from 1910. Remodeled in the modern farmhouse design. New style at every turn. Well worth scrolling through some of these pictures. If you're looking for a house of this caliber, five bedrooms, four baths, 3,100 square foot, definitely worth taking a look. The price per square foot of this beautiful renovation, $257 a square. Plaza District, beautiful, doing a great job over there getting these houses. Again, that's Gatewood. 
Gatewood neighborhood. That's the community there. Again, 1329 Northwest 16th. Got to check it out. Beautiful um, bar in the middle of the kitchen, just captures the whole space and the whole family hanging around that kitchen. And again, if you're into modern farmhouse, take a look at those pictures. Beautiful idea. In the under 250,000 category comes 3000 North Venice Boulevard. That's listed for 229. It's a three bedroom, two bath, 1857 square foot. And the reason why I picked this one because I like the little castle look when it comes to these homes. And I like to see uniqueness. And this house has every bit of it with a full spire, I think is the word for that spire. Somebody correct me on that. But when a castle comes up to a point like Walt Disney's castle, I think that's called a spire. Maybe wrong, but this house for under 250 includes a spire. So you can put your Disney characters in the front lawn for the holidays and have a very fitting house behind it, Tudor style, with the pointed top as you enter the home. Moving on to the news, nothing too crazy out of whack in Oklahoma City, but something did catch my eye, and that's 3D printing. 3D printing, uh... Someone's leading the way, coming out of Texas. A builder in Austin, Texas, has developed a way to build an entire home for under $4,000. What does that mean for our market? What does that mean for the housing market in general? Nobody knows, but they've started the initial testing phase on a 650-square-foot home that they say can help curb homelessness in the third world countries. He's developed a way to create a machine that then automatically pours a concrete house and he can build one house every 24 hours. Now, granted, you still need uh, uh, an electrician and a plumber to finish the systems in the home and an HVAC guy. But as far as the exterior framing, say goodbye to your framers because this is all being done uh, through um, robots. So uh, it'll be interesting to tell. And Jonathan, uh, who's a guest on our show today, we had some talks offline earlier about the, the 3D printing, and he was taking a look at some of the ways the concrete is laid in these 3D homes. And he says that with, with the way that the concrete is layered on top of each other, it could be possible that they would uh, shift um and move with our our changing soil. So it could be a good option. However, he did notice that they weren't steel reinforced. Um, so that's a big no-no uh, when it comes to uh, strength. So uh, is this going to impact our market anytime soon? Not likely, uh, but it's a really cool concept. You can check out a link down below for more details on that. Without further ado, I want to bring on Jonathan Hill, this gentleman has been doing inspections uh, or giving engineer opinions on homes throughout central Oklahoma for a little over 10 years now. Uh, really intelligent gentleman. All right, Jonathan, welcome to the show. 
Thanks for coming by. Thank you for inviting me, Landon. I'm really glad and looking forward to our discussion. That's great. That's great. Well, we have some important topics to discuss here. Um, I know many, many buyers have brought this up many, many times, as well as sellers that are getting ready to sell their home. Uh, So it's really big. And I think, in fact, most foundation problems in Oklahoma City get discovered during a real estate transaction Mm -hmm. when they're bought and sold. Mm -hmm. That's when the home becomes under scrutiny and inspectors are checking it out. And usually from what I've noticed, most uh, in home inspectors and appraisers are the ones that first call out the issue. Right. You know, they'll say, hey, looks like I need to get an opinion from a structural engineer on what's going on here. And then at that point, as real estate agents, we then contact an engineer and we get your opinion out there. And now your opinion is like, you know, the law, if you will, when it comes <laughs> to banks, for sure. <laughs> When you say it's got a problem, it's got a problem, and the bank's going to expect that problem to be fixed, and then for you to come up and say, yes, the remediations that I've recommended have been done and completed according to these standards, and your stamp of approval goes on it, and then the bank begins to lend on it. So I think really the the curtails the bank standards, uh, really wanting you uh, to write that report. Right. Yes, that is the process that I've discovered and. You're, you're right. A lot of owners and buyers, they become uh, it becomes realized to them all of a sudden once they really sell their house a crack that maybe has been there forever, but they notice it. And uh, sometimes I've noticed that, you know, if the earth shakes anywhere in Oklahoma, they begin to look at their house and they notice old cracks. So sometimes old cracks are not bad cracks. Hmm. Right. I know a lot of realtors know your name. Because it seems to be when I bring up your name, people know you. Um, for those that maybe aren't from this area or don't know you, could you tell a little bit about your history? How'd you get involved in this line of work to begin with? Yeah, thank you. Um, my name's Jonathan Hill, like uh, Landon said, and I'm a structural engineer. Been a structural engineer for 22 years. Graduated from Iowa State University with my uh, civil engineer's degree and uh, emphasized structures. And, and then uh, roughly 10 or 11 years ago, I was transplanted here to Oklahoma. And in Oklahoma, there it's a unique structural market uh, because of the clay soils. Um, mm. Actually, when I drove in Landon, mm. uh, I was driving, on, I think it was down I-35, and I was like, what is that? And it was all this red soil because we didn't see red soil uh, up in Iowa and in the Midwest area. And uh, that red soil, which, you know, the reason why a lot of the houses down here are brick and everything like that, can cause an interesting structural market, especially in a residential and it's because when that soil gets wet, it expands. And when it gets dry, it really wants to dry. And I kind of got into this by accident because mm-hmm. primarily I cut my teeth in doing construction, uh, commercial design. New construction. New yeah, design. new construction. Sure. And it wasn't even residential, you know, more mm-hmm. big box stores, you know, university buildings, educational centers, banks, different things like that. That's what I'm mm-hmm. getting used to designing, all those type of vertical structures. So using wood, masonry, steel, all those products is what I've done. But I kept getting these calls. Mm. Yeah, I kept getting these calls from residential. And eventually I'd say, no, thank you. No, thank you. But I'd hear the distress in a lot of their voices. And and I I love helping people. You know, outside of being an engineer, I just love helping people. And I realized that some of the knowledge that I've acquired could, could help some of these residents when they're running into issues, issues with contractors or issues with their home when they want an unbiased, objective opinion. So I started taking the calls, and um, that was probably about 10 years ago. And as I've been taking those calls more and more, it 
it's become a regular thing. And it actually it supersedes the majority of my work. I do a lot of inspection work, commercial and residential now as a result of that. So that's kind of how I got ushered Mm, into this. Sure. You mentioned a really good point there, an unbiased, objective answer or report. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Um, So many people may think, you know, you see these commercials on TV, foundation repair, you know, we do it, you know, we do it better, lifetime warranty, all that. However, when they come out to do an inspection, there's an inherent, you know, conflict of interest there and that any problem that they discover, they're going to get paid more on or have the potential to get paid more on. Whereas when you come out to do a report, you're doing a report from a scientific point of view, just stating, here's the issues that I've discovered or maybe not discovered, and here's the report that I've found. What's the difference between those two when we, when we talk about it? I mean, you know, when someone's trying to figure out, do I call a structural repair company or do I call an engineer? Yes. And I, I really believe that the engineers came on board, um, you know, as a result of a lot of the lenders and everything wanting a professional opinion. But I think it's the professional opinion, the ethical obligation we have to the engineering board here, that anything we say, um, anything we write in writing, anything we draw up for plans, you know, is considered legal and binding. Mm. And uh, with that type of uh, weight, if you will, hanging over our heads, sure, it, it, it allows us to leave a lot of our opinions behind. Because in a real estate transaction, there's a lot of pressures from a lot of sides, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. the buyers are really wanting to buy the house mm-hmm. and they don't care if it has a structural mm-hmm. issue. And an engineer has to stay laser focused and judge the house and judge what's going on with the house, not the need for the buyer to buy it. The need for the seller to really sell because they've got another house that they're already paying a mortgage on, ready to move on. So an engineer is used to, I think, in their lifetime of being an engineer, dealing with pressures, mm. and but yet still having to make objective, clear decisions that they'll willing be to be able to stand behind even in court. Mm. So with that being said, it does separate us from you know a, a foundation and. Insp- who would be working for a company that may not be licensed, they can give good opinions because they're very knowledgeable here in Mm -hmm. Oklahoma. Experience can be a good teacher, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it does eliminate that bias when you're a professional engineer with no loyalties and the only financial gain you have is the the, the cost of the report, which is usually a lot smaller than than the cost of the repair. Sure, (laughs) sure. And and the fact that you can be brought in before a judge at the end of that to testify with, with what you found. Yeah, there there's a lot. I mean, there's inspections that I've done, you know, for insurance companies. And then that, those are the ones that can get more litigious and where you can end up in court more often mm. than the real estate transactions. But no, these also can also. Uh, anything we put on a report, we're, we're planning that this could get in some type of mediation. You know, because I've, right. I've had my report. We've been around long, long enough to my reports. They begin to travel. They might travel to different owners and Mm. people say, he said this back then and it's doing that. So Mm. fortunately, I have not run into that yet. Sure. Thank God. Sure. (laughs) Well, I want to open it up and take some listener questions here. Um, Amy writes in, she lives in Guthrie. Uh, Amy says, we've had a few earthquakes that woke me up in the middle of the night last year. And since then, while gardening, I've noticed several cracks starting to develop on the exterior brick in my home. I haven't seen any crick cracks on the inside, but is this something I should worry about? Um, I would say don't worry uh, about it at all. Sometimes the cracks on a house can be 
um, instigated or initiated by an earthquake. And um, a lot of the earthquakes that have taken place, you know, in the upper Edmond area, things like that, the earthquake damage is really apparent after the earthquake. Uh, the brick veneers, they're falling off houses and things like that. But what earthquakes can do is they can aggravate even cracks that are already existing. So, mm. like, uh, she mentioned the exterior of her house. Some of it could just be foundation settlement, and it really would take an expert like myself or someone else to come along and try to differentiate between the two, because sometimes it's really hard to tell hmm. if it was earthquake related or if it was related to a foundation issue. And some of the times the way I, I tell the difference is I, I try to look at when they first saw that cr crack, hmm. when it developed, and mm -hmm. I actually do research and to look and see when the earthquakes took place. And then how high on the Richter scale those earthquakes were hmm. to see if it can necessitate the type of damage that I'm seeing here. And a lot of times, you know, cracks, stepped cracks in homes, um, it's a good identifier that it was more foundation settlement than just shaking, you know, left to right. You know, shaking left to right can this can completely twist a house. Hmm. So I'm also looking inside of the home to try to see, hmm. Was any of the China displaced mm. during the earthquake? Sure, sure. You know, am I looking along at the, if you look on a wall and look all the way up at where the ceiling meets the wall, there's a joint there that's usually uh, taped with gypsum board tape or anything. Am I seeing a lot of shearing and twisting in the corners of the house? So I'm looking for other evidence. Horizontal movement, which wouldn't necessarily occur. All right. Yeah. You know, wouldn't occur with the foundation as much. Yeah. Foundation settlement would be more up and down vertical. Mm. And remember, you know, seismic is side to side. It's lateral. Mm. So I'm looking for other evidence to go along with this to, you know, say it's purely earthquake. And if those cracks, you know, are under an eighth of an inch for, for that person that wrote that question, you know, I would just keep it monitored while you're guarding. See if it's uh, opening or, uh, or opening further or even closing. Because what some people don't understand, and I went to this one house, it was so funny. Uh, I was looking at the a window, right? And, you know, the brick kind of dies into the side of the window. It's called a jam. <clears throat> and it was a smaller separation. Well, like right now, it's been raining. Cats and dogs. Mm -hmm. So usually mm -hmm. that's when the soil record rains. Record. record rain. Actually, from August to September, that's the that's that span has never had more rain in history. Wow. From August and September right. combined, if you right. combine those rain totals, never happened uh, before. I right. mean, that's what they were talking. So when it rains a lot, the you know ground wants to swell more, and then a lot of times cracks will close, uh, mm. you know, and they will, will be narrower. <laughs> and uh, but then when it gets really dry, you find them opening. But mm. then you have a freeze point in time where an inspector is coming and look at it, and you have to really be careful and try to look at the oscillation, if you will, of that crack opening and closing because it can open and close. So I would mm. just have her, you know, to specifically answer that question, just to monitor that crack. And when you see it getting wider, maybe an eighth of an inch, call somebody to come out and What's look to see What's a good object that's an eighth of an inch? What, uh, pencil? I mean, what, what are we talking about here? Uh, an eighth of an inch wide would probably be if you sharpened a pencil to its point, mm -hmm. all right, then back up to the where the black meets the yellow part of the pencil. There you go. That point, I, I'd say that's roughly an, an eighth of an inch. There you go, Amy. So if you've got a pencil at home, <laughs> go ahead and sharpen that up and stick it in the hole. And if you if you get past that lead, uh, it starts getting thick on you. Um, I've even heard some folks say, uh, you know, playing card, you know, but 
you know, I think that's that's pretty crazy to get down to a playing card. I mean, that's that's yeah, just playing cards paper. A sixteenth of an yeah. inch. So yeah, yeah. Uh, another one, and this is from John. John lives in California. He's an investor looking at our market here. He says, I would like to invest in OKC because I feel the home prices are low and I can get good returns on rent. Is Oklahoma City worse than average for foundation problems? Should I take this into risk, this risk into account for my investments? Uh, I would say for the South, which is a clay soil district, you know, Oklahoma, Texas and things like that. Oklahoma holds its own as far as uh, its foundation damage. I wouldn't say it's any worse than anywhere else. Now, if I'm comparing Oklahoma to the Midwest, it's totally different, completely mm. different. I mean, the Midwest, the frost depth of soil goes down to 42 inches. Mm. Here, it only goes down to 12 inches. So the primary issues and foundation in the Midwest, it deals with ice, mm. you know, and freezing and, and actually lifting houses. Down here is a different nature of a problem. And I wouldn't say that Oklahoma is any worse than any any place else. So considering the the lower real estate prices, I believe that the investment is worth the risk because we have tools. Um, you know, there's foundation ways to mitigate that risk and minimize that risk through, you know, foundation peers and other means to try to help alleviate what the soil, you know, failed in. So I think there's ways around that. And I, I wouldn't at all avoid Oklahoma as far as an investment, uh, especially when the price is right. That's right. right? Because- That's right. <laughs> These problems are financial problems, ultimately. <laughs> I are. mean, Yeah. Yeah. And if you maintain a house, Lennon. Uh, even though there are clay soils, and I, I don't know if that's a question anybody asks or if I should expound on that more, but, you know, clay soils, when they get wet, they want to expand. And when they get dry, they want to crack. So if you're looking around your house and your property and you see something that looks like it's an earthquake hit my yard, mm, you know. Yeah, no, we get that in the summertime. Right. Sure. There, there's cracks all in my yard. Well, it's not necessarily just earthquake. That just means that you're your ground is very dry. Mm. And when you leave your ground very dry and you get these uh, polygonal type cracks all around, and especially if up against your house, Mm. up against your house, you see a separation forming. Mm. That means that you have not been watering enough during a dry season. And clay wants to stay at a stable state. Mm. It doesn't want to get too wet or it'll lose its uh, structural consistency and it doesn't want to get too dry. It'll lose its con- uh, structural so consistency. So it'll try to repel water or what, how does it, how does it, um, does it do any bit of modification in itself or is it just, it's just there and it just absorbs whatever water it gets and then. Well, that's a good question, Landon. Uh, when clay absorbs the water, it mm-hmm. grows and it expands and it, mm-hmm. it can lift, it can lift As opposed to house. sand, which I right. mean, sand just stays the same. Yeah, right? sand is more permeable in the water. Uh-huh. The microscopic holes that are between the sand granules, the water can travel through there, but not with clays. Mm. And clays will expand more. So mm. what happens is, you know, if you got to make sure those cracks that are opening and then it rains through those cracks sure. and then the water gets down and it begins to erode the foundation soils that are, are around your soils or existing piers. And it doesn't have that stickiness, mm. or the adhesion, mm. technical word, but stickiness for a non-technical word. And then that's when you get a uh, soil bearing failure and your, 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 your foundation settles. So wow. maintaining water and water drainage, yeah. w- wouldn't you say, Landon, I mean, your experience? I, well, I mean, I see home inspection report after home inspection yes. report, and they're constantly saying, get the water away from the house and the gutters and, and, you know, or, or, um, the elevation, they'll ask for an increase in elevation away from the house, like, so that the, the, the soil is pitched away from the house. Exactly. Cause you'll get, you'll have one side of the house 
that obviously all the water is settling. And what they say, you know, they, they've told these folks, go out there 10 minutes after a rain and see where that water's sitting exactly. on your property and then do something about it. You know, don't just, you know, guess, right. but actually watch what the water's doing. But if you have one side of your house collecting all the water and the other side's not, that is a recipe for foundation disaster. It is, it is. And you got to recognize that what's going on outside your house is not going on inside of your house. So inside is meaning a constant temperature Let's say it's dry. And there's some people, some people have created foundation problems with irrigation. Even, mm. I mean, they have the heads of the irrigation all along the side of a house. And in a medium density neighborhood, sometimes you don't have a lot of distance between your house and the lot line. Sure. So and then they oversaturate, oversaturate that clay soil. And then when it's oversaturated, it loses its consistency. And sometimes the foundations may, may even roll outward mm. and you might see cracks in the brick. But what you do see inside of the house, every wall that dies into that exterior wall, you see a separation going vertically at that joint and where it, where it connects. Because it's pulling the room apart pulling at the apart. seam. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which over time on some of these houses is, is just going to happen. I mean, I, some of these are 1908 builds when we get into downtown Oklahoma City. Uh, I know that I've had folks for uh, an inspection reports come back and said, hey, you know, Actually, it's it's doing all right. Like there's there's maybe some mi minor support we can do right. here, but you know, and the floors are you know you know crooked, and it's what they call plasticizing or plastizing uh, wood, where it's just pulling apart uh, over time, hundreds of years. You know, these houses mm -hmm. 120 years old, some of them, yes. and the wood itself is just kind of stretched over time. Yeah, that's true. Wood and, wood creeps. It's called actually. That's the technical term. I'm not calling you a creep, man. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, no, I'm okay. saying glad we got that. No, out no, of no, here. no, no creepers no, no. allowed in the show. No creepers. Yeah, no creepers. Yeah. But wood will yeah. creep. With, and you know, and that's sad. part of the character of the home. I mean, come on, you're you're buying a home that's 75, mm. 80 years old. You know, folks are getting away from the track homes to buy these homes. They want something unique. Well, if the floor is a little crooked, you know, that's part of it. And I think probably in 1908, when this, you know, what 1907 Oklahoma was formed. So 1908, this house was built a year after. Plenty of them in Putnam Heights and along Classen. These houses were built like as Oklahoma was being built. You know, maybe the wood wasn't as straight then. Yes. I mean, we have machine pressed boards now, right? Yeah. There's just like thousands of weights, you know. Back some then, of those, they... some of those wood boards, though, are stronger than the new wood bo there boards they're making. There you go. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of home, older home inspections, and my tolerance level changes with an older home. Because mm. number one, it's been there a long time. So I enjoy looking at older homes because any problems mm. that existed, the, the, house, scale. the yeah. house has already communicated that. Yeah. The question is, have they repaired it mm. or have they kept putting Band-Aids over it? Mm. And then that's when I know if there's a continual Band-Aid and if I described a Band-Aid, you know, the, there's a crack in the brick, it was maybe caulked, mm, you know, yep. or, maybe, or maybe it was tuck pointed, but then it opens again or opens yep. again. So there's a signature, if you will, of, you know, how many times it's been repaired. Well, let's fix the problem. Let's just deal with it. Yeah. And a lot of the older foundations, believe it or not, they go deep and, and, they, and they made them more firmer than some of the newer foundations mm -hmm. they made. That's right. Those stack stone and stuff you see. Yeah. Those are, those are actually, it's kind of impressive to see them. Um, it, most of them now, when you go in these older homes, especially Mista Park, you get down in the basement and they've done some covering, some cosmetic covering or, or maybe weather barrier, you know, stucco or something like that, or concrete blocks in front of it. 
occasionally you'll see one that the original stack stone is still open and you can still see, you know, these stones that have been laid by somebody born in 1880. Yes, a long time. You know, he was probably least. wearing a suit while he was doing it too, <laughs> you know, handmade suit, you know, made in America. Okay. So you get a recommendation, right? A lot of times it says one or two things, sometimes three or four, but it'll say, I recommend concrete piers or steel piers. What's the difference between those main two sources? You know, you have, you have foundation guys will tell you, all the time, oh, well, I can put concrete piers in for $300 a piece or blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the engineer may say, no, 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 no. You need a steel pier in there. What's that distinction? What's going on there? What, why, why are we calling for a steel pier? What's the importance of it? What, what's the different types of treatments when it comes to foundation repair? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, piers have existed since before we were born. You know, and what it is, is it's a way to get to a deeper strata of soil that may not be as volatile or that may be more firmer than the existing strata. The top soil. Yeah, sure. it's top soil or even if the strata below that. And, you know, ideally, you know, especially in newer uh, developments and things like that, you know, ask to see the foundation uh, soils reports to see, you know, is it a lot of clay soils? And then mm. a lot of times, if there have been a lot of clay soils, they'll build all the houses originally with piers. I don't want to get confused with the aftermarket mm. sure. post installed piers that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But a mm -hmm. lot of the houses will have original piers to try to get down to that lower strata. And that's of based soil. on that soil sample test. And do they have to do that on each plat or is that something that they do the whole plat map when the development gets created or do they do that for each lot? You know, my experience and what I've talked to is a lot of times they do tests of different areas for the whole plat. Mm. I don't think they do it at each individual home unless it's I individually gotcha. requested. And, uh, you know, I could be wrong on that, but um, mm -hmm. I, well, I, it certainly I, would make sense from a cost standpoint. Right. But that's important to do. Mm -hmm. And that lets you know what type of foundation system you need. Mm. But to your question, then aftermarket, you know, if there is a problem, uh, driving steel piers in the ground, that's what I'm more comfortable with. They also have uh, concrete. Uh, they call them pressed piers, mm. where I believe they're pressing them down in the ground. And some of them have a cable that they may run through to try to give it some, um, some tensile strength. Mm. And uh, there's a different product there are different mm. products and they do and they perform in different ways um I, I personally i'm not trying to ostracize anyone that does concrete because they will perform and will do well but on my reports i recommend steel concrete steel piers just because I, i'm more comfortable with understanding how that may work mm. in, 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 in okay. clay environment um, i just know that clays do a lot of shifting mm. and there's a lot of shifting below ground that we don't even know about mm. And I, I just more comfortable with a, a vertical piece of steel pipe that would be going down 20 or so feet than a bunch of stacked concrete or anything like that that could end up shifting and rocking and rolling or just moving with the soil. And you don't really want to put a pier in that's going to move with the soil. Mm. You know, you want it to be independent uh, and bypass, you know, the soil. That's what you would want. And the only thing you would rely on is the skin friction, which would mean the side of the pipe as it connects with the soil and it rubs together. You want that to, mm. to, to, to create some type of a friction to be able to create more force to support your house. And, you know, if I keep talking too much, I'll get all nerdy and stuff with, with no, technical hey, things. Hey, the, the <laughs> folks that aren't into nerdiness are already off the show. Oh, they're already they, gone. They, I lost they, them. they listen to the first 10 minutes. You know who you are. You listen to the first 10 minutes to get the market <laughs> report and the real 
real estate connoisseurs yeah. stay on for for sh- yeah. the, the B phase of the so show. So we're talking to the real people. We're talking now. to the real folks. You well, know the, who you are. Well, the real I get folks. your comments all the time. I love it. Appreciate it. The real buffs. So yeah. going nerdy now. Let's entering nerdy. the nerd zone. Nerd zone. Okay, let's let's get to the yeah. So okay, bedrock then. If we're gonna go nerdy, I get this question all the time. They go, Landon, are we going down to bedrock? And I'm like, what do you mean by bedrock? And they go, well, you know, when the earth's just solid core, and then we'll push off of that, and I want my house on bedrock. Right. Does that exist? Uh, Is that that a fantasy? I, you know, some of my foundation people I work with, I'm going to start quoting me if they listen to this, but, you know, I'm I'm not sure that they're driving down to bedrock. What they are driving down, and a lot of them have pressure gauges when they are driving their peers down in the ground. They're driving down to where they get a, a high pounds per square inch on their uh, on their dials, and they're considering mm. that strong. But I'm not going to say it's always down to bedrock because bedrock varies all across the state, mm. and it, it's not probably cost uh, it, it costs too much to say I'm going down to bedrock on every one of my peers. So if somebody's selling that they're going down to bedrock, you know, mm, I don't yeah. I don't want to I don't want to say that I'm going down to a firm strata of soil. That'll get me, you know, 12,000 PSI, whatever it is, or it'll get me my 15, 2,000 pounds per square foot, whatever gauge it is. That's something that's reasonable. Sure. But to claim bedrock, I, I wouldn't I've necessarily heard, do that. I've heard, uh, Alisa, can you, can you Google the bed, how, how deep is bedrock in Oklahoma City? I want to say, I've heard numbers, and this was by, um, I want to say Ram Jack, one of his Chuck Chuck came out to one of the sites and we were talking and he said, he said, literally when people say that bedrock's like 700 feet. I mean, it's just some crazy number over Oklahoma City because it's an ancient sea. Aren't we on an ancient seabed here? You know, you're getting into the geology and some things I don't know. Landon, you're a deep guy. (laughs) Well, you you said that. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, yeah, we are on the ancient sea. So go ahead. Tell me about that, Landon. Well, (laughs) (laughs) actually, actually, at least we're going to get you a mic next show. But she worked for Devon Energy for a while. And she's just been telling me. She was actually a geologist. She has a degree in geology. Yes. Yeah. You're not a geologist. She she has a minor in geology. That that gets her in the club. Getting there. Yeah, but yeah, bedrock. I wouldn't go selling. Somebody selling that, they're 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 embellishing up slightly. It's it's snake oil. Okay, snake snake juice. A or... firm strata of soil. That's the best well, way to say it. So and okay, so we've got down to twelve thousand psi or eight thousand psi. We've stabilized the home. Are we lifting the home or just supporting it? What when do you know the difference between those two? Well, if there's been settlement and there's room to lift it, mm-hmm. and a, a lot of times you can tell, let, let's take an exterior wall, for example, that has shown signs of settlement. There's there's step cracks that are opened in the brick veneer, and you can tell it's settled down. And maybe at the baseboards of your home, you actually see a separation between the baseboard and your floor slab, so there's a gap there. Mm. Uh, a, a cosmetic, uh, I mean, something that's that's visually affecting your interior. Yes, yes. And if they can see that, they can lift slightly. Mm-hmm. But it, it's dangerous to lift too much. Busting windows. Right. Because sometimes lifting, you can overlift and then it's hard to get it back down. And then you can lift and cause more cosmetic issues. And mm-hmm. a lot of times I recommend for them to stabilize what is what is there mm-hmm. and lift if possible. Sometimes on corners, mm-hmm. it's, it's better to do some lifting because you can uh, lift that cor- corner and bring it back uh, back level. And 
you know, when you go outside of your house, mm. there's this piece of wood. It's like a one by two piece of wood that's at the top of your brick veneer. Some call it a wood freeze board or a wood piece of trim, whatever. And that where it meets at the corner of houses mm. exterior is mm. really a telltale sign of how much the foundation has moved. So lifting sometimes can bring that back into play. and uh, But I've talked to a lot of the foundation guys and even myself. I don't always recommend lifting, mm. you know, unless it's there's a distinct corner that can be lifted. But I do recommend stabilizing so that it doesn't go down any further. That's right. That's right. And we stabilize both sides of the home or just the side that's sinking. I mean, there's thoughts there that if you stabilize the side that's sinking, well, now the other side is just going to sink differently and you, you really have to stabilize the whole thing. I mean, we get into that whole game. Yeah, it, it's a tough, it's a, it's a definitely a judgment call. I've scratched my head a lot on homes mm. because uh, you don't want to introduce something that's really firm like a, a pier or anything in one area and then not the others because that'll cause sometimes the foundation to crack. Because mm-hmm. it's really firm right there at that point. Mm-hmm. And then it's the house, as a house does, and everybody doesn't notice, the house may move slightly all the time with the soil. But then in that point, it's firm. Sure. So then I have to make a decision. Should I do the whole wall? Mm-hmm. Should I just do this point? So it, gets mm-hmm. to, it really does get to be a designing type objective call yeah. with the placement of peers. Yeah, but one side to another. Landon, I'm going to tell you, sometimes it could be a strip of soil that just was not compacted well. Mm. And then that's why you're seeing foundation damage in that one portion of your house. Mm. So in that case, yes, just put it in that portion. Don't worry about and the And then other. treat the stuff on the topsoil like we talked about before, the water, the issue going on with sprinkler systems, that kind of thing. I remember seeing a house in Midwest City, it was like 23rd and Post, that the the northeast corner of the home was sinking into the ground and what we found during kind of the investigation was that there was a there was an outdoor spigot that had that had broken loose and the owners had just put a little cap over the top of it but it would, had still continued to leak down the wall mm-hmm. and it was just a constant drip of water over years years that years right. that that had dripped in that portion of the home and now their home had had, had needed a structural uh, issue or uh, peers added uh, to stabilize that portion of the home because of this one spigot mm-hmm. that when we had a plumber come out and fix was like a $120 total right. thing that right. had they caught that early and said, you know what? Water leaking on one side of my house is a problem and it could cause these massive repair uh, issues. Let me just go ahead and get it fixed now. Yes. Uh, that could have been a totally different. So I encourage folks on that. Yep. Listen, I know you're a busy guy. You got to get off to the next thing. I really appreciate you coming by here. Uh, is there anything that we forgot that maybe people might think about or ponder when they're when they're looking at their home right now and they're going, geez, I, you know, because there's that nervous feeling, right? Let's just say it. This could be thousands of dollars in repairs, and a lot of people procrastinate making those calls because they just man, they don't want to hear that answer. They don't want to hear, "Gosh, man, I, I now I got to do something about it." Um, kind of coach me through that. What do you recommend for somebody that's kind of on the edge, like, "Man, do I call? Do I not call? Is it going to get worse if I don't call? Should I go ahead and call? What's the worst case scenario? What's the best case scenario?" What do you recommend for those folks? Yes, uh, I would just recommend as far as cracks in your home, if you're outside looking around, you're starting to notice cracks in your home or cracks inside of your home. 
Uh, it's best to try to catch things early because mm. I'm just piggybacking off what you just finished with. Water is what creates a lot of the issues. Mm. So to all the homeowners, I would just encourage them, number one, just do a 360 around your house. Mm. You know, do I have gutters that would be directing my roof water at least 36 inches away from my house? Because sometimes gutters, they catch it, then it goes down to the downspout, but then they have the downspouts pointed directly at the foundation. So they're mm. creating an issue by shooting all that water down the downspout right there. So you need extensions on your downspouts also mm-hmm. to carry that water. I, I recommend at least 36 inches away from the house. So look around your house for that. That's mm-hmm. And then also look around your house for puddling and ponding water that's just standing when it's raining. And if so, go ahead and just do it yourself. Grab some dirt and slope the ground away from your house. And then make sure you put some type of a uh, vegetation or grass or something over it so that the dirt doesn't walk, wash away, but you just want the rain from heaven to make sure it's hitting the side of your house <laughs> and going away from evenly, your house. Evenly, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the so, idea is that the soil uh, dries and, co- and and gets wet evenly. Right. Yeah. Yep, and then inside of your home, if you continue to see uh, a lot of doors sticking and you mm. continue to see a cracks uh, within your doors, let's say the corners at the tops of your doors that are continuing to open and close and things like that. You could have an interior floor slab issue mm. and it could be an interior uh, leak and you may need to get a plumber to come out and mm. scope some of your uh, underground plumbing pipes and to make sure there's not a leak. W- when you see something, I would recommend, I mean, inspection fees are not that high uh, right. across right. the board of Oklahoma City and, and all my other colleagues and guys I work with around this city that, that mm-hmm. do this, it's not as expensive to go ahead and find out, is this something that's going to cost me thousands of dollars later? I was in the house right. the other day. They had all the carpet, all the tile ripped up, and it looked like a, a train almost had ran through the slab mm-hmm. and then caused it to crack because mm-hmm. of a, a water leak that had continued to progress over time. Mm-hmm. And when water has no place to go, it's going to find its lowest spot. Wow. Or it's going to cause the slab to heave in some areas. That means pop up because if that water gets down and hits that clay and the clay expands, it wants the slab to heave up. Mm. And in some areas, it's going to settle because it's eroded a path. It found its way out the house. Mm-hmm. So it's eroded a path. And then it may have frozen at some time. Yeah. And, you know, Oklahoma, when it gets cold, yes, it can mm-hmm. freeze. So so a quick way, fun fact for you people that may not know, you can turn off all your fixtures inside your house, head on out to your street. And if that meter's still spinning on the water meter, you know, you have the meter in the front of your house. Ninety percent of our homes in Oklahoma City have have the, the fresh water coming in as a, out your front door, kind of next to the road. You'll pull up that that panel there and you can see there's a meter in there and it's spinning. Right. It's charging you money for the, you know, it's it's recording how much gallons so that they can bill you. Well, if you turn off all the fixtures in your house and it's still spinning... That's a good sign that you have a slab leak somewhere or some other leak that you need to find. You need to call a plumber, get that sorted. And then if you discover we do have a slab leak, your next call is going to be an, uh, an engineer to make sure that no no uh, damage has been done that needs to be dealt with before you have massive cracks. That's right. Lane. And shifting. Yeah, I, I agree. So um, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, if you want to get a hold of me, uh, my cell phone is 405-443-7802. And I'm in and out of inspections all the time. So uh, texting is great for me because it allows me to respond a little bit faster. So 405-443-7802. A website is hillstructures, uh, hillstructures hillstructures.com. And you can go there or you can email me at hillengineering at gmail.com. So those are three ways you can get a hold of me. 
And folks, we'll have those links in the bottom of the description on the bottom of this post. Um, also, uh, keep in mind, Jonathan Hill is really recognized by several huge lenders in town. In fact, I can't think of a single big player in the real estate world that doesn't know your name. Really? I mean, every, every agent that I've talked to and I said, you know, like um, Mary Hatch, for example, with Dwell, you know, we just had a discussion about that. And I said, you know, OK, we'll we'll try to get Jonathan Hill out there. And she's like, oh, yeah, I know Jonathan Hill. Mm-hmm. And that's important because when both sides of the transaction have a trust in you, mm-hmm. they're going to be more excited that you're coming out because they trust that you're you're you're. Uh, results are going to be objective. Right. You're not going to be playing favorites here. You're not going to be saying, well, you know, I know this seller, you know, I really want to try to make sure he sells us some. No, you're going to give the facts because again, you may be end up in court, but also too, I really feel like you're a genuine guy. You know, I mean, you really want the best for both parties and hey, here's the facts. Here's what's going on here. Yeah. Well, Landon, like you, like a lot of the other real estate agents, you're really knowledgeable. And I know you you said all those <laughs> nice things about me and I appreciate them. But, uh, you know, the landscape of real estate agents here are really knowledgeable. And you can just tell by some of the things you educated me on <laughs> here. Yeah. I didn't know if I was interviewing you or yeah. you were interviewing ah. me. because <laughs> <laughs> Did we get the stratus, by the way? Are we? No. No, 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 we'll 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 pin that at the bottom of the yeah that's the, the bonus interview. yeah the bonus question yeah. so maybe somebody write that in listeners if you know yes how far is Bedrock down in Oklahoma City I'm gonna I'm going with seven hundred seven hundred feet well I'm gonna go look it up as soon yeah as I get off yeah this. there we go <laughs> all right Jonathan thanks for coming by the studio you're welcome anytime all right thank you very much Landon for inviting me I've enjoyed myself. And that concludes episode 20 of the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. Questions, comments, concerns, you can email me at landon at okcreal.com or you can visit okcrealestateshow.com and check out the listener feedback button at the bottom of the homepage. You can type your questions and your comments right in the box. We try to answer them here right on the show. You have a great day.